Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today we're joined by Joe Dykeis to talk about the founding story of Dykeis Farms. Thanks for joining us today, Joe. Thanks for having me, I'm Matthew. Really excited to talk with you about your story. I think there's some so many parts I'm expecting to hear that I probably haven't even heard today. Could you start by introducing yourself and uh, what you do today? Yep, my my name is Joe Dykeis. I'm the president of Dykeis Farm, which is my family's farrow-to-finish hog operation. I have been back from college um See, I graduated from Purdue in 2007, so um, I guess it's about 15 years. I'm having my 15th wedding anniversary and got married right out of school. So there you go. I've been back for 15 years um, from college. I got my degree in agricultural economics and farm management from Purdue. Awesome. No, congrats on the anniversary. Thank you. So can you lead in by telling us how Dykeis Farms got started? Yes. So um, my dad, Bob Dykeis, Robert Dykeis, um, would be the, the founder or the agripreneur, if you will, of the Dykeis family. Um, maybe a little unique, he started out um, in a partnership with his dad, my grandpa Jim, who actually was a master plumber and was well-established in his career and was really good at his craft when my dad came out of a two-year ag tech program at Michigan State and said, hey, I want to be a pig farmer. So the two of them started with 80 sows in 1978. Um, and they the, the barns that they built are in the historical family homestead that I live on uh, with, with my wife and our four kids right now. So, so I see where we started every morning when I walk out to the tool shed to get my car. So um, 80 sows in 1978 um and to i mean today we have about 17,000 sows and sell a half million pigs so just a a crazy crazy change over the years but um he wanted to do pigs um if you ask him why did he do pigs he would say because they weren't turkeys i worked in turkeys <laughs> when i was younger and i still have scars from that so um so it, and he saw an opportunity to raise pigs where you could you could put sweat equity into something um, and and build equity and, and build a future. So um, they they started breeding breeding sows and selling feeder pigs. Um, very shortly after they started, they got connected with EIC Genetics. So they were actually one of the first uh, companies, I think, in in North hmm. America to go with EIC um, Genetics. So we actually just celebrated a 
uh, earlier this year, a 40 plus year um, anniversary of being a full, full PIC program genetics. So that was a good started, bet. Yeah, no doubt. So, <laughs> so he started out with the, um, with the Englishman back there and talks and I mean, he can, he can give a history of PIC as well as, as well as anyone. So, and that really is kind of the, would be a key, a key piece. And okay, how did Bob Dykes grow um, so quickly? And, and how did he hang around in the industry versus, um, versus others that did not? Um, I like to talk about this concept from Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, that talks about how, how timing is so critical. And so my dad started farming uh, kind of after after the farm crisis, so he walked in at a time where he didn't have a burden from the tough go of the 70s, started in pigs when you could sweat equity your way in, and then one of his first uh, fortuitous um, choices was to go with genetics that were focused on making meat quality rather than a show pig. So, um, so he would say, we we trusted the science of what PIC genetics would deliver, and we leaned into leaned into that, and and we could make uh, projections of economic performance based off those, and we leaned into that, and holy cow, did it work! And that so that allowed them to just start to grow um, because they were they were successful at production, and that's really all you needed to do. Uh, to be really competitive was to just make a bunch of pigs. So he's he's got plaques and stuff from uh, back in back in the day of how many pigs per sow per year they were producing um, until not it wasn't that long ago that he could still point to those and say we were doing better than what we were doing recently um, way back then. So so he was really good at that, and um, so so they were. They were competitive, and then my dad wanted to continue to grow. Um, so he he leaned into um, he leaned into the reliability, the performance, and what he could produce. So in the mid '80s, and I don't remember the exact years. I was born in 1984, so a lot of this was happening when I was real, real little. Um, but uh, my my grandpa, who was established was much less risk averse than my dad. My dad had a long career ahead of him. So um, my grandpa didn't want to leverage into as big of um, pig bed as my dad did. So um, my dad actually sold out of the partnership and started on a farm just around the corner that we, we still farm now um, and uh, built a brand new sow farm. I believe it was a 300 sow farm barrow to feeder pig on one site all brand new buildings um he built all his own gestation stalls they they made their own slap molds uh so it wow. was it was a we're going to do this new modern production and that'd be a second that'd be a second kind of outliers theme where okay you got the right genetics at the right time when it was early and then adapted to the modern sow farm facility where you have gestation stalls, um, uh, breeding pens with boars, 
uh, farrowing rates. I mean, this, we actually... Mid-80s. Mid-80s, yes. So we actually just renovated some of those barns for the first time since the mid-80s in 2020. So those those uh, stalls that he had welded himself lasted way longer than what he thought they would. And that was... That, that was the right model. I mean, we're still largely based on that model. Sure, we're doing pen gestation post-implantation now, but that modern sow footprint yeah. um, really was kind of established as an, as an indoor production model there where you're doing individual sow records and you're doing individual mating and you're using stalls and managing body condition and all these different, all these different things. So that so is that what you've known ever since you were a kid then? Is that the first memory you have of pork production was it was already a modern barn? Yeah. So one of my first mem- my first set of memories would be when we were building those facilities. Um, okay. So my, and my dad helped, you know, he was really the general contractor on all of that. And we lived in the house right in front of the sow farm. So um, I've got four sisters and no brothers, but so there's five of us. So my, I vaguely remember this. My older sister remembers it more vividly, but um, I think it was just the two of us then. Um, and my mom had to go do something. So we were with dad for the evening. He was working out in on the construction site. Um, and there were piles of clay. And we somehow started, to, and it was wet, I guess. So we decided we were going to climb these mountains of clay and slide down. So my mom came home to my dad, I think, hosing us off on the back porch in our <laughs> underwear or something like that. Um, so, so I mean, I, I always grew up around, you know, just walk out and go see, go see dad. That was pre biosecurity. And yeah, there were times where uh, being the one boy with four sisters, maybe I caused problems enough to deserve isolation. So um, Joe, you're going out to be with dad. And he'd set me on top of a four by eight sheet of plywood on top of gestation stalls and say, stay there. And he would do his gestation chores and he'd do breeding and whatever. And I'd have to sit up there and play with the clothespins and, um, markers that were, you know, livestock markers that were up there. I mean, I spent yeah. hours of my childhood sitting up there. Great accountability. You get down, you're going to be in with a sow. Probably a bad idea. I never tried to get down off the board. So, um, so, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I always have known of what we've been doing with, with Dykes Farms is that. Um, so what, at what time did it move from 300 to 17,000? What was that, that growth yeah. phase? When did that look like? When did it happen? So, um, let's see the, it would have been in the mid nineties. My, my dad started um, wanting to raise more instead of selling feeder pigs, raise the finishing pig. Mm-hmm. So he, he did, and I'm not even sure how long it was. If it was a couple of years or something, but he raised a percentage of what he was growing in older facilities. So we rented a barn, you know, an old style barn from a neighbor around the corner um, that was bedded to finish some hogs in and a, a couple open front barns. It was just kind of, it must've been just a, Hey, we're going to test the water a little bit. Yeah. And then in the mid nineties, the, 
there was the dabbling into fully slatted tunnel ventilation barns. So when he started raising some of his own pigs really in earnest, we built a, a two double wide mm. um, thousand head finishers um, behind the sow farm. Um, so I remember when we were building those, they were making, again, we made all the slats for that. So they'd make slats, the tool shed up by our house throughout the day, they make a set of them and then uh, load them on a hay rack and drive them back down the driveway. And the, it was construction. It was muddy or whatever. And there was a bobcat that had to go from the front to the back. And my, my dad would let me drive that bobcat because no one else was there at night or whatever when he was doing this. So I was just big enough, imagine kid, just big enough to push the joysticks or the handles oh, yeah. and skid steer, right? That's um, That was my job. So, okay, you drive in front of me in the tractor and just stay on the path. And if you get stuck, I will just run the tractor into the skid steer and push you. So, um, so that's... We built that. That would have been early 90s or whatever. So his, his real first finishing facility was tunnel ventilated, all slats, um, with, with modern feeders. So, um, again, just a, the right time to start investing in a pig production. Yeah. Uh, he built barns that if we hadn't converted that site to a sow farm, those, so those barns are gestation barns now. But if we hadn't converted that, there literally would be the specs that we want finishing barns to be if you build them new today. So that's just crazy. That is that is right place, right time. Exactly, and a huge—I mean—a huge chunk of the industry is kind of in the same boat right now. A lot of the a lot of the people who control the sows now kind of started on the same path and had some of those same timing events work did out. he did he rely on pic then or who did he rely on within his network to understand the timing of all of that was it just i thought so of it or to be honest with you i i'm not sure who he would credit as you know the best source for the contract finishing thing but my dad is a researcher yeah and he can also he does a he, he can see kind of where things are going. Um, it seems like a lot faster than most people. And he, so he, with relentless research and then just knowing the, I mean, he knows the P and L of raising hogs as good as anyone. He always did his own accounting stuff for a long time. So he, like, he just, he can apply that on the fly all the time. So it, it just, he would say, well, it just became very clear to me that that's what we needed to do. And, um, the performance would pay for that capital investment. So we and, put and that's at a time where you didn't have Google. Did it. Yeah, you didn't have Google. You probably didn't have all the events to make it super obvious. Like it, if he saw it, he might have saw it like one, once, twice, maybe three times, and like makes yep. sense. Like that's impressive. Exactly. And that I mean, I, this industry has been built on people like that figuring it out and leaning into it, and then you know, the, the rest of us catching up to that, right. And other yep. innovations being stacked on top of that. But so much of the pork industry is, has been innovated by producers, just figuring out how to do things better. It's crazy. It's crazy. So didn't you and all your sisters then eventually work through the barns until you left for college or how'd that all work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We were, um, 
we were put to you, you know, put to use as much as possible uh, when we were when we were younger. So when we when we would remodel or add um, gestation stalls and and it was time to carry stuff in, you got to carry whatever pieces you could carry. So um, if you were a little bit bigger, smaller kid, you could carry the gestation front. If you were small, you then you could carry one gestation back or maybe a few rods. But everyone got to got to help with stuff um, with that. And then as we got as we got older and looking at back on it now as a, a parent of a pre teenager, I'm not facing the teenage years, but they made us work weekends in a South Farm. <laughs> so what what better curfew on weekend free time management than to say, you need to be at work at, you know, six or seven. I don't even remember, remember what time we were starting, but it was early, right? I had to get up earlier on the weekends than I did for school. And you're going to work with our employees. You better not. You better show up ready to work and don't embarrass. Are, are there so, still employees there today that you would have been taught from who are oh, still, still working? Absolutely. That's cool. Absolutely. Um, there's um, still some of them call me Joey. Yeah, which was <laughs> what I was called until I was in about high school. So, you well, you've met Jeff Humkus, one of our South Farm oh. managers. I think he did an install there. So, I worked weekends for him when I was in high school, breeding pens, uh, breeding breeding gilts and pens uh, during a, a big expansion project. So uh, he can tell you some funny stories about that. So, what are some of the bigger challenges that? you saw your family facing through that growth uh, like what challenges came from that to i'll i'll get to answering that specifically here so that mid 90s uh dad expanded the first sow farm what we call old grove to a thousand or to 1200 sows um no to, well he he went to 1200 and then to 2400 pretty quickly after that so he could make thousand head groups okay and then and then he saw that, hey, that actually worked pretty good. And then he started contract finishing. So um, so there was a time, like the, the first kind of major um, growth period was to get to that 2,400 sows. And then I believe he had 26 1,000 head finishing rooms just in Michigan here. Um, well, maybe there was one, I, I bet there were, I bet there were some barns down in Indiana in part of that first uh, push, but to get to 2,400,000 a week, and then, holy smokes, that worked really good, and they started an expansion uh, to convert that one finisher I was talking about before into another 2,400 South Farm. So there you go from like 300 to 1,200 to 2,400 to 4,800 really fast. And, and the that, employee manager or the people management component then just drastically grew as well. This is no longer just a family thing at that point, right? Yes. At that point, Bob wasn't doing all of the chores and everything. <laughs> so, yeah. So, he it became critical to start hiring um, hiring good people. And he was he was able to do that through that period of time. Um, so, it was about having so, – so, a thousand a week was good from a – a pig flow standpoint as far as um, not having barn space at empty and from a health standpoint. And then the 2000 a week allowed you to feed barrows, have one room of barrows and one room of gilts. 
then you could maximize the, the split sex feeding, which was mm -hmm. another thing that you could, you know, you'd say you could pencil it out. You could, you could rely on that performance, um, and, and lean into that. And that, that expansion to the about 5,000 sows that happened right in 98, 99. Oh, really? So, yes. So, so he was really leaning into a big expansion right at that time. Again, back to the outliers thing, right? So he, he actually had a whole bunch of production come on after prices recovered. And he had financing all lined up for this major expansion prior to the collapse. So he had plenty of operating capital. Really? Yeah. So he, yeah, he, I'm sure his equity took a major hit on his balance sheet, but he still had operating money. He still had the balance sheet to sustain it. And we hmm. really just, you know, we doubled through that and then um, came out on the backside stronger uh, as the market got better. Then when we get to the pain points um, from, from like 99 to 2007, when I graduated from college, we had 20,000 sows when I graduated from college. So that, oh, okay. was, that was breakneck expansion. That was buying um, farms that either went into bankruptcy or didn't have transition plans, pretty much all in our footprint. And that period of time, we grew so fast that we lost what we were good at in a lot of things where the ability to be really efficient with production went down because we just grew so fast. We were expanding into facilities that weren't as efficient, but there was enough margin that just creating more pigs was the most important thing. Um, so then when I, when I came back from school in 2007 and my, my older sister, Aaron Enger, came back uh, from school two years before that. He, I mean, he needed more horsepower for managing and stabilizing um, this rapidly growing enterprise that he um, that he was really busy still drive. You know, we were still yeah. throttling forward, right? So I need someone to follow behind me and help. Um, Help get this back to his, the productivity we Pick had. Pick up the pieces after everything. I drive through. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, in a, in a way, everything we've been focused on since that time, even through today, is getting back to perfecting the craft, being really efficient. So, um, ninety or when I when I came back, two thousand seven. Um, I had just enough time to get my feet under me, and then we had 2008, 2009 happen where oh yeah, it all hit. yeah, and um, so margins were really poor. Um, so I I came back, and my my role ended up being on the financial economic side. Uh, so I got to work on projections and uh, cost of production models and stuff. And um, so I I mean I got. I got 10 years worth of experience in, in about a two year window of time <laughs> there where it was recalibrate the whole model. It's not just about putting pigs out. It's about being really efficient. So we reduced our sow herd back. We, we worked on a realignment of getting finishing pigs back into the most efficient spaces. And, you know, it's a multi-year process, but uh, yeah. that's, and I, I, a number of other producers went through the same, through the same thing where you go from 
having these um, kind of catching catching these uh, big wins in your sales to oh the um, the wind stopped blowing and now we really have to be good at sailing um, to to win the race um, and that's that's I would say that's really where we are as an industry now too. Um, there's it doesn't seem like there's any big secrets out there. There it's hard to find these big gaps ahead like, oh, hey, modern finishing facilities uh, will really improve your average daily gain and reduce your yeah. food conversion. Or uh, one style of genetics is so advanced beyond all the others that you have a huge competitive advantage. We've worked so much of that stuff out that um, to survive in this business, we have to be excellent at uh, raising and caring for pigs. we got to manage health better. Um, and we've got to be great at managing our people. So what's going on today? What's happening today? Is your dad still involved? And if so, how is he involved? What does it all look like at Dykeis Farms? Yeah, he, well, he's, um, I think his, what he calls his official title would be senior advisor. And his job description would be doing things that he wants to do. There you um, go. Not things that he has to do. So um, as as the president, I'm in charge of the, the management of the day-to-day operation. Um, I still report to him as the chairman of the board, but the, the day-to-day stuff is all on my plate. Um, he's a, and me and my, and my team, I've got a, got a great team around me. Um, but he, I mean, he's available there for questions and he works on special projects and stuff um, on a, from a management standpoint, but a big chunk of his time is spent um researching parts of the industry that he's interested in and doing land improvement projects. So he's got his tile plow and bulldozer and excavators all out right now work on a project and he, uh, he loves doing it. So what excites you about the future and where Dyke Ice Farms is going? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I came back, I decided to come back to the, the farm because I really, like the challenge that agriculture presents um, of of having to take the ingredients of a biological process that includes a living, breathing animal and requires a whole bunch of different people and a lot of different types of capital um, uh, capital assets and and other inputs to make food. It's, it's really sophisticated. It, it is. is really complicated, and it takes a great team to succeed. Um, and I guess I I really enjoy that challenge of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess my my skill set and my interests kind of line line up with what what it takes to run this family business at the time that it's in. And um, so I I felt called to come back and do that, and that's been uh, affirmed. I guess every step of the way here. Awesome. So to kind of wrap things up, I asked a couple of questions. Uh, one of the first one is what is something about you? Most people in pork production do not know. That's a great <laughs> question. Um, I, I am a big Disney world fan. I've got yeah. four small kids and uh, we've been, we were annual pass holders for a number of years. It's a great way uh, to go and kind of, disconnect from reality for a little while while still being able to have Wi-Fi everywhere and uh, keep up with what's going on at home. And I just, I've got, 
uh, three of my three of my kids are girls, and there is nothing like seeing the look in the eye of a little girl when she meets her favorite princess. So yeah, um, we just we have great um, we have a great time connecting as a family. Uh, we go there, and it's for for mom and dad. Disney makes traveling with kids um, pretty easy. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So what? Uh... What is a golden nugget that you'd have for listeners? A bit of life wisdom that people can take and, and lean on. Yeah, so um, I know that you've asked that in other, in other podcasts, and I've listened to a whole bunch of your, your podcasts. So, um, and there, I mean, there's just, there's just endless, um, endless things. So I'll probably, I'll probably give you two of them. So the first one would be, uh, just from kind of general reading. So a book that I read, I think not too far out of college, um, called Egonomics was very hmm. interesting to me. So it, uh, I think a researcher started out with a premise that he was going to figure out how much ego costs companies. Um, huh. And what he found out was that uh, ego can be costly, too much ego, but too little ego or not enough confidence also can hurt you. And so his, his theory is that you have to, you have to have the proper amount of ego to really allow your, to really allow your skills and your strengths to shine. And if you have too much, your strengths turn into a weakness. And if you have too little, your strengths also turn into a weakness. So that, um, that's a really interesting one that I almost never hear anyone talk about um that's awesome just balance your ego to maximize your strength yep and i mean it's it's relatively practical if you if you really are honest with yourself that when you puff yourself up too much you can you can become a little bit too much of who you are and if you don't have confidence you're not going to have the um you know you might not lean into what what you need to lean into to be as effective as possible yeah and then the other one, I guess I got to throw a shout out to my dad here. So one of the one of the wisdoms I, I've learned a lot of different uh, pieces of, of wisdom from him, <laughs> but but one that was really impactful to me was um, you know, when things were when things were tough, he'd always say, "Well, I guess this um, this probably could be applied was probably mostly applied to my homework." So yeah. Um, <laughs> So I was, I'm a gifted test taker and I hate doing homework. So I would skate by, you know, as, as lightly as I could. And I might lament how hard homework was and how worthless it was or whatever. And he'd always say, you know what, the, when things are really hard, uh, that's when, that's what sorts out people who really are going to be effective and not, you've got to figure out how, when you don't want to do something or when it's hard for you, that you just do it anyway. And that separates a lot of people from being successful if they're not willing to do that. And that's, boy, is that, um, boy, is that true across more than just homework. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you, Joe, for joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. It's been a real pleasure to have you as a guest. And thank you for sharing your gold nuggets and your your family's uh, story as well. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. 
We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. 